I know you guys want to find something there, but yeah. it's not, nothing really interesting. So I think we should close it. You know, it's new season right now. We have to like focus on that. Yeah. Is uh, are you able to say that if it was your decision or the team's decision to leave the team? Uh, the I think we we just we both decided. Yeah. So it's not only for me. You know, there was a little conversation on that and. We did make that decision, you know, if we make next round, I probably play. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say that you close the chapter on that completely and you're ready to go for this year? Six seconds. Is there anything that's lingering or are you ready to go for this season? Uh, I think I'm ready, yeah. I have a couple of small injuries, but I'm pretty fine. Did you talk to your teammates? Hmm? Did you talk to your teammates at all? Did you say anything to them? Uh, you know, teammates uh, support me, like, from when I went in, uh, from Seattle, kind of, so I never was problem with them so I want to say thank you everybody again like for support me and uh, yeah the, uh, the one thing I did want to ask was the, the woman there did mention that someone took her her passport did did you have any knowledge of anything like that going you know on? I told you let's close it you okay. know I don't want to talk about it what's it been like for you to rejoin your teammates and, and hit the ice again uh, I'm happy you know actually it was a pretty long summer for us so kind of Finally, happy to practice with them. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you. You just heard from Valery Nichushkin following day one of training camp, his first time speaking since the incident in Seattle last April where he left the team just moments before game three. That was one of the most and still will remain one of the most fascinating nights I've ever had uh, on this job, on this uh covering this team and and I still there's a lot of unanswered questions about it but it's it's nice to hear from Nichushkin it was pretty much exactly how I expected it to go a whole lot of let's close the chapter and let's move on of course this is Arif Dean you're listening to Hockey Mountain High your go-to avalanche podcast I do have a co-host today it's Anilo Piro joining me from Mile High Sports and we're going to chat a little bit about the first day of training camp and media day on Wednesday hello Mr. Dean it is a uh, pleasure to make the Hockey Mountain High debut you know, I do a lot of the behind-the-scenes work for us here at Mile High Sports, and, you know, you have done a great job covering this team for a handful of seasons for us now, and uh, excited to hop on this podcast, but also help behind the scenes in growing and developing this podcast into not just your go-to Avalanche podcast, but the Avalanche podcast for Avalanche fans out there. So, uh, thankful for the opportunity, and Nachushkin. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I, I not that I forgot about it, but it's just like, oh, here he is, like, you know, back at it after... Yep the mysterious disappearance in the middle of the postseason last year. So obviously a big part of this Avalanche team. Nice to see him back. Nice to see him focused on the season ahead. Yeah, I think the most important thing right now is, you know, a lot of people, and I don't want to kind of ignore what happened in Seattle. We know about the situation. Myself and the other beat reporters did our best to try to cover what was happening there. Uh, You know, we got the police records. We got a hold of the videos, the footage, and all of that. Um, I don't want to ignore... The specific details that were in that police report, obviously you guys heard Val, you know, had to answer a question about a passport that he didn't want to really get into details about. But at the same time, in terms of the on ice product, it is like you said, nice to see him back. He seems refreshed. Uh, He seems ready to go. Um, And he was skating on a line with Ryan Johansson and Arturi Lekkanen. The Avalanche are going to have a ton of different ways that they can play with their top six, even their top nine. It's just good to see him back because he is a big part of the team. There's a reason why the Avalanche gave him that eight-year, $49 million deal. Nathan McKinnon, when when we asked him yesterday about Val, went out of his way to say that when he got here last week, we welcomed him in with open arms. We love him. He's a great guy. He's a great person. We have more than faith in him. We know he's going to be there for us. And then even went on to mention, because McKinnon does this every single time he talks about the cup final, said Val was our best player against Tampa. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He was our best player against Tampa. He was a beast. So if that guy is going to be the guy the Avalanche get back into the lineup, it is a massive addition. That's the guy they need. Yeah, and... I, I think you you said it well. Like we're not going to gloss over the off the ice issues or the situation that transpired, but like it is our job of like we're not you know the the moral police or you know whatever may or may not have happened. Like all we know is he's back. He's with the team. To your point, Arif McKinnon and everybody you know loves him and recognizes the importance of his play and what he means to the standing of that locker room and that team. 
And, you know, you're moving forward. You mentioned the contract extension, seasons around the corner. You know, what's what's in the past is in the past. And obviously, if the Avalanche are welcoming him back with open arms, that tells yeah. you all you need to know. Yeah, the most important thing for me is there were no criminal charges against him. Should there have been, it's anybody's guess. Uh, but, you know, I've had a lot of people tweeting me this, and I and I, I kind of have the same opinion, and I have for a very long time. When Val Nachushkin speaks, this is obviously before he spoke today, uh, I didn't expect to get much information. I knew the team would, you know, kind of keep it under wraps as well. Are we ever going to find out more about this? Probably not, and that's just the way that the team and Val wants it to be, and, and, and you know, we can dig, but I don't think we're going to get much more out of it. At this point, like, all that... Obviously, the Avalanche have reached their conclusion through the information in which they've obtained through what Val has told them directly and indirectly that whatever occurred is obviously, you know, buried and over and done with and and hopefully it doesn't creep back up again. It is interesting, though, because now I feel like if anything were to happen with him away from the team, that's going to be front of mind as well. Well, yeah, this is this is just going to be the situation. Now there is kind of a little bit of more you're you're focusing more on him to see if anything ever arises. It kind of reminds me I spoke about it on the last podcast I did the Mike Babcock situation in Columbus. People knew as soon as that Columbus decided to hire this guy, that if he stepped out of line even a little bit, there were going to be eyes on him and people were going to need and demand answers. And it's going to be not the same situation by any means, but it's going to be similar here for Val Nachushkin. If he does anything out of the ordinary that involves any kind of a personal leave, any kind of police reports, anything like that, it's going to smell a little stinky because it's already happened once. So as long as he stays away from that, as long as his his focus is on the ice, as long as he's healthy, because I think a lot of the issues right. that were arising from him last year were because of him playing with a broken foot coming out of the Stanley Cup final, were because of him uh, having wrap, wrapping his foot in a way that I've never seen a player wrap his foot in the dressing room before every single game. We all, obviously, for the ones that read Peter Baugh's book about the Stanley Cup championship run, he had that uh, that part in there about Val after Game 5 when the Avalanche couldn't close it out at Ball Arena, got back to his car in the Ball Arena parking lot, and tore the living crap out of the dashboard of his car, just pissed off and upset because he thought that they let a chance slip away, and he didn't know because of his broken foot if he was going to play in Game 6. He played in game six. He was exceptional. He played over 22 minutes. He was on the ice in those waning seconds. And then, as you all saw on my Twitter, he was carted out to the bus, drunk after celebrating the locker room on one of those carts that people use to load things in the dock. So there was a lot going on with Val this past year. I think it's good to have him healthy, both physically and mentally, and ready to go because the Nichushkin we've seen the last two years is such an important piece to this team. Having him play on a line with Arturi Lekkinen, Val and Minival, as Jared likes to call them, with a new center like Ryan Johansson is going to be huge for this team. They have so much depth. The way they look today at camp, you can tell there was this refresh, this refreshed feel to the team following last year's cup hangover. And I, I, I think you, you summed it up perfectly, Irif, because I, I don't want to discount the Avs' sh- struggles or shortcomings in the NHL postseason last year, but you know, you and I have talked a lot about this personally. I've talked about it with Avalanche fan people that work in the media. Like that team was worn down last year. You know, that Stanley Cup run, you know, took a lot out of them. You know, with the adjustment of the schedule and playing later into the summer, you know, than typically. And again, I'm not trying to discount why they weren't able to repeat or, con- yeah. or, or defend their cup. But at the end of the day, it is nice to kind of turn that page reset here. And I mean, obviously, you and I out at training camp, you were there at media day yesterday. A lot of smiles, a lot of heavy breathing as well. Mm -hmm. Let me just say one thing about training camp as well. I love that Bednar and just hockey in general, not that they run these guys into the ground, but like they are working. Like I just did Broncos training camp and it's a lot of walkthrough and two-hand touch and I've done the Rocky spring training and the Avalanche training camp, like or the, the Nuggets training camp, excuse me. I love that. They're getting after it from yeah. the first practice. They're back on that ice. They're zipping around, and I love that energy. Yeah, they zip around, and at the very end, they do conditioning drills. They skate yep. them up and down the ice. That's always my favorite part of every single training camp. Can you take much out of it? Who knows? But it's always my favorite thing to see who's kind of struggling, who's being a little bit left behind. There was nobody that really stuck out today. In years past, I think last year was Martin Kaut was struggling mm. like crazy with those conditioning drills. A couple years ago, it was uh, everybody's favorite annual PTO, Artemi Anisimov, uh, Artem Anisimov and uh, Mikhail Maltsev were both struggling with that as well. So obviously two guys that didn't really make it here. One was released from his PTO. The other one just didn't really find his way with the Avalanche. So this is a well-conditioned team. This is a team that's got a lot of talent. They've brought in a lot of new blood. 
We talked, you and I, today to Tomas Tatar. We talked to Miles Wood, a couple guys they brought in from the New Jersey Devils. I also spoke to Jonathan Drouin, Ross Colton, Ryan Johansson. They're holding him to tomorrow. He's going to speak to us on Friday. But just a ton of new blood into that locker room. A lot of guys that are energized, rejuvenated, and ready to go. And I'm just so excited to see how this team handles this upcoming season. No, for sure. And when you add those solid complementary players, right? Guys that have come from other other organizations, whatever might be like the, the beauty of adding guys like that is your core is still very much intact, right? Like we're still yep. waiting to see Gabriel Landeskog come back, you know, become fully healthy again, but you've still got McKinnon. You still got McCarr. You've got guys that have been around the block and have not only won in this league, but have won with the avalanche. So I think when it comes to introducing avalanche culture and avalanche play style and hey here's how we do things here you have those guys in place and now it's about you know the ross coltons of the world and these newcomers you know picking and choosing and finding their spots as we go along which is obviously you know the entire point of training camp and i know it's early Arif, and you mentioned johansson will speak with the media later this week but what have been some of the the keys or the things that you've identified so far early in training camp or even back to media day when it's players conversating talking to the media like what has stood up stood out to you through these first 48 hours of the Avalanche being back? The top of mind for me, and and this is going to sound like I'm blowing it way out of proportion, but I feel more confident because I think Gabe and the team feels more confident that Gabe Landeskog is going to play hockey again. When is anybody's guess? But going into that press conference back in May when it was announced that he was going to have the artificial, uh, what was the surgery, not the artificial. Crazy knee surgery or the, surgery that I never heard of. Yeah, I forget what it was called. I was mixing it up with the artificial disc replacement that Jack Eichel had. Uh, but when that's he was, a, that's, That was an artificial disc replacement. That's what that's that's what, what Eichel went through. That's wow. what Eichel went through. Yeah. That does not so, sound very fun. No, not at all. So it was uh, I forget what it was called uh, the the knee surgery, the same one that Lonzo Ball had. But regardless, when when that press conference was announced that he was going to have this surgery and he was going to miss the entire twenty three twenty four season, at least the regular season for sure, most likely the playoffs too. Let's face it. It sounded to me like we may never see Gabe Landeskog again. And it is a newer surgery. It's something that we've not seen. Obviously, we saw Stephen A. Smith and Lonzo Ball going at it about yeah. him having the same surgery, and the guy can't even get off a chair, and, and Lonzo was showing him that that's very much not true. What I saw from Gabe Landeskog today, both physically and mentally, the last couple of days is this is a guy that the team thinks is going to come back. This is a guy that when we spoke to Tatar, went out of his way to say that, you know, Tatar's got a lot of connections to this team. He played with Arturi Lekkinen and Jonathan Drouin in Montreal. He played with Miles Wood the last couple years in New Jersey. He's a longtime teammate of Darren Helm when he was with Detroit. Obviously, Darren Helm is retired but has settled here in Denver, so he's still here. He's part of the Alumni Association now. Kyle Quincy is part of the Alumni Association, also a former teammate. Those are all guys that Tatar said he spoke to. But he also said that Gabriel Landeskog called him several times later in the summer to help recruit him to the Avs. And that's a that's a captain. That's a guy yep. that thinks he's going to play again. That's not a guy that's just sitting on sideline. Like last year when we talked to Evan Rodriguez, it was always fascinating to me when he would talk about Gabe Landeskog because in my head I'm like, all right, Rodriguez signed a one year deal here. He's probably not staying past his season. He's never going to get a chance to play with Gabe Landeskog on the ice. But he spoke with Gabe Landeskog like they were teammates that had played together for years. And that's the it, it just everything about the vibes around it. What Jared was saying, what he was saying about his six-month follow-up appointment coming up, about how he expects to skate soon, about how we saw him today when he was in the locker room following the first group. Uh, he was in gym clothes. He looked like he had just stepped out of the gym, so he was working on his rehab. He's still going to be around the team. They're not taking that C off of his jersey. That's the first thing that stuck out to me was, was the vibes around Gabe Landeskog felt a lot better than I thought they would by September. Yeah, and... There's certain guys in, in not just hockey, all of sports, though, that command that attention and command that respect. And I think we've come to realize that Gabriel Landeskog is absolutely that kind of guy. Like, like if you're a prospective player or if you're a free agent, you get a call from Gabriel Landeskog, you know, only one full season or removed from, from winning a championship. You still have McKinnon. You still have McCarr. Bednar's, you know, proved to be one of the best coaches in the league as well. Like, you have to take it, right? And I don't want to just compare it to all the other sports but you know you see what's happening here locally with coach prime and dion and recruit dion calls you you're listening and i would imagine that it's a lot of the same dynamic with gabriel landeskog where one of the best players in the nhl one of the most respected players one of the in the most NHL, respected leaders yeah, exactly he, he, he calls you he texts you he connects with you and says hey i want you to come play with me and the boys you know your ears perk up a little bit yeah so i i really love the the approach that they took there the other thing that stuck out to me and we'll talk about this here in a second was I was very curious what would happen 
day one of camp is always where you're going to get the vibe for how contract negotiations are going. You know, we heard from Steven Stamkos yesterday with the Tempe Lightning who came out and he didn't sound pissed. He sounded upset. He sounded really upset with Julian Brisebois, the GM of the Tempe Lightning, that he had not really had any conversations about a contract extension. And and now you you hear the, the Stamkos uh, pr- presser that he had. And it sounds to me like they might be heading towards a divorce. Granted, we did say that eight years ago, and it ended up with right. an eight-year deal, you know, days before before the opening of the unrestricted free agency period. But, you know, Stamkos is a lot older now. Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot of money. What we got yesterday from Devon Taves when I asked him about his contract negotiations was a player that sounds uh, a hell of a lot more confident in signing a deal and wanting to stay here than I thought it would. He went out of his way to say that his intent is to play the rest of his career with the Avalanche, which I never knew if that would be the case. I always looked at, excuse me, I always looked at Devon Taves, similar to Ryan Suter in Nashville, who always kind of played second fiddle to Shea Weber for such a long time until eventually Ryan Suter signed that massive deal with the Minnesota Wild, became a number one defenseman of his own. Doesn't sound like Devon wants that to happen. Sounds like Devon wants to stay here. He said, I'd rather it not drag into the season. My intent is to stay here for the rest of my kid career. And here's my favorite part of the quote. If we're able to get that done, that uh, that would be awesome. And he wants it to happen before opening night. He wants his contract to not drag into the season. That's my favorite part of the quote. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's understandable. You know, you, you don't want that looming question or that looming thought hanging over your head you know, when you're playing and, you know, does, does it potentially alter the way in which you play your game? Because, you know, you've got a contract, you know, that you have to work for for next season. Uh, you know, so I, I think from a security perspective, it helps put the player at ease. And if obviously if the Avalanche, you don't want to keep them along for the ride, you might as well get it done. And the fact that there's mutual interest on both sides would, would make me think that, you know, as long as both sides are being reasonable, that there's a path towards a deal here within the next handful of weeks. But I, I think from Taze's perspective, I mean, I, I could absolutely understand that. And you're talking about someone who has earned his stripes in this organization, has been around the block. And, you know, it, it, that's a pretty, I don't want to say serious statement, but like, it tells you all you need to know about like a player coming out here and saying, this is where I want to be. Let's get it done. You know, balls in the avalanche court to some extent. The security part of what you just said is so important to me, and, and, and I think we don't talk about it enough in the NHL about how much it matters. It's pro sports in general, but in this league, how much it matters for players to get their hands on these guaranteed contracts. Yes. And I want to go back to the 2021 offseason because it is wild to look back on it now in hindsight when Gabe Landeskog was approaching the unrestricted free agency period and how it seemed like him and the Avalanche might be heading toward a divorce. And then on the eve of the opening day of the UFA period, moments before or minutes before the deadline for him being able to even sign an eight-year deal, Gabe Landeskog got his hands on an eight-year, $56 million deal with the Avalanche at a $7 million cap hit. July 28, 2021. June 26, 2022, in the first year of his eight-year deal, Gabe Landeskog raised the Stanley Cup. He has not played since. The security of solidifying and securing a long-term deal is so important to these guys, especially when you're Devon Taves and you saw what just happened to Gabe Landeskog. You go into this season thinking if one thing goes wrong and I end up like Gabe, I'm not going to see the ice for two years. I need to make sure that I get that security. And it is so important for a player. Like you said, it'll affect the way they play. Mentally, it'll affect the way they're thinking about the game, thinking about injuries, thinking about how they approach the game. It is very important for him to get that done. I think to me, the Avalanche want to keep him and he wants to stay. Absolutely. He is an ex- incredible defenseman. To me, he's a top five, if not top top 10, if not top five defenseman in the NHL. And he's not even the best defenseman on this team. The most important question mark is the cap hit. I think because he is 29 years old, he'll be 30 next season when the contract kicks in. Uh, if the Avalanche want to bring that AAV down, the, the cap hit number, it's going to take an eight-year deal. It's not ideal. But it's what you got to do. Uh, when I wrote about my predictions for him, I, I predicted that he would sign an eight-year deal in the seven, seven and a half million. I think it was $7.65 million was the number that I came up with off the top of my head. Uh, that's what I think is going to take. I think it's going to take a lot of front-loaded money. But if you want to get him for under eight, under eight and a half, under nine, 
it's going to take an eight-year term, and I think the Avalanche know that. It's just a matter of figuring out exactly where the number lands. Well, and you, and you bring up some really good points that I think apply. You know, you, we hear a lot about contract negotiations in all of sports these days. You use the term front-loaded deal, uh, AAV, and all that kind of stuff. And, and from the Avalanche perspective, Arif, you're in your championship window, right? You've got Gabriel Landeskog coming back. You've got McKinnon and McCarr in their prime. Like, set the deal up in a way that maximizes your window currently. And, like, let's say he signs his eight-year deal, right? And maybe four or five years from now, you know, he's not the same player. The Avs aren't the same team. If that deal's front-loaded, you know, it makes, you know, things a little bit easier on the back end to kind of get creative with what you want to do there. So I, I, I think that this is... It's like, you know, two parties getting married, you're deciding on the venue, right? What What's going to be the middle ground here that gets both parties to feel comfortable moving forward in, in the long term here? So, I mean, that's my biggest thing, though, is, is to kind of regurgitate the point that you made about my point, which is this is your championship window. You have your players. Don't let, and you, you mentioned how good of a defense, defenseman Taves is, don't allow something that you can control as an organization to take away from his potential performance on the ice. And also, he is a late bloomer. He's a guy that didn't really become a full-time NHLer until 25, 26. And I think that's, or 24, 25. I think that's important, too. He doesn't have the same amount of hard miles on his body that Gabe Landeskog does from playing 82-game NHL seasons as a 19-year-old. Devon Taves didn't do that. It's not like his hockey career started at 25, 26. He obviously played hockey every year. He made his way, and he grinded through until he got where he got to with the New York Islanders before getting traded to the Avalanche. But he didn't play NHL hockey, 82-game seasons, long playoff runs until that mid-20s age, where if you compare it to someone like Landis Gog, was already six, seven years into his NHL career, three, four, five hundred games of NHL hockey on his body. So I think that's important, too. I think Devon Taves has a, a, a little bit of a longevity factor to him. And uh, he's a very stable player that you you can expect to stay healthy, assuming nothing goes wrong. Obviously, injuries can happen on, on a win. But he's not had any reoccurring issues with the Avalanche in terms of injuries and health. And I think it's important to have a player like that, especially with yes. the way that athletes are going these days. 33, 34, 35. I know it's a young man's league, but at the same time, these guys are healthier than ever before. They're more fit and more conditioned than ever before. And for a guy like Devon, the type of game he plays it's the type of game that you can see having more of a longevity factor to it. And I think to that point, you know, I, I feel like the Lightning as an organization have done a really good job of maximizing their window. And I, I can't tell you how many times it's like, here's this player, here's that player, right? They do a good job of working with what they have, but taking care of the people in which they have as well. And, and I don't want to just directly compare the Avalanche right now to what Tampa Bay was able to do, you know, over the last half decade or so. But that is kind of the blueprint for a championship organization, an organization that has aspirations for more than one title. And it's hard to replace guys that have won. It's even harder to replace guys that have won with you already. And the fact that he's still in his prime, still able to do what he's able to do, again, I, I, I obviously, you know, there, there's two tails on both sides here, but as long as there's a middle ground, I mean, to me, this seems like a no-brainer on both sides here to get this deal done. Yeah. And uh, the the hope for me is it is done before opening night so that it's not something we have to bother Devon about all season. Right. Uh, he's he's a big part of the team, and, and we all know that. You know, Bowen Byram just signed a two-year prove-it deal. That's a player that in a couple years will be big conversations about where he goes because that's a player that I feel like if he has two healthy seasons under his belt, he's going to want to spread his wings and fly and be a number one guy somewhere. Devon, after talking to him yesterday, just strikes me as a guy that is okay with playing. And... <laughs> okay as if it's a terrible thing he is very much okay with playing with kale mccarr the rest of his career and that sounds like yeah. that's what he wants to do i, so, I wouldn't mind playing with kale yeah. mccarr so kale obviously just to transition to him was not on the ice that's one of the things that we learned among the many injuries uh he's just dealing with a day-to-day -day thing it's a minor thing jared said he will take the ice probably over the weekend and join the main group shortly after uh so devon today was not skating with kale but he will obviously as soon as mccarr's ready to go and, and correct me if i'm wrong Eric, but i i was reading something like, Kale himself doesn't want to step on the ice until he feels 100% yes. or close to 100%. Yeah, yeah. So that's why that's what Kale kind of, uh, he, he confirmed yesterday. He said, he said, as soon as I step on the ice, it's because I am 100%. Correct. He doesn't want to rush into anything. Um, and a lot of these guys, like, they've, they've got recurring issues. We know that Pavel Fransos, you know, I spoke about him on the last episode I did. 
He's going to miss some time. He's going to miss the beginning of the season. Sounds like the Avalanche are in the market for a new backup goalie. I'm assuming the waiver wire will be ripe for the for the pickings here in a couple of weeks. Um, but Pavel Francouz has been dealing with issues. Josh Manson still day to day. He was uh, he's going to take the ice here soon. Cogliano. He was skating in a non-contact. So a lot of those guys from the 22 cup run are still a little bit banged up, but not the way they were last year. Having all of May, all of June, all of July, and all of August without an avalanche season was huge. And obviously most of, if not all of September for these guys that are going to be skating here soon. So it's 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 been a long summer. And uh, I think for Makar and Manson, it's only going to help them to take their time before jumping into training camp. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point that you make there as well. And, this is the time to be cautious, like right, like, like it's yeah, not. It's not 100%. like you're in February, March, yeah. like getting ready for a cup playoff run. Like this is like there's no need to burn Kale McCarr out or put him out there if he's not feeling a hundred percent or yeah. any of the other guys. Like not just McCarr, but obviously he's the one that comes to mind. Um, so you know we'll, we'll see, man. I mean, training camp is here. There's obviously going to be a lot of storylines. Keep an eye on these injuries. Keep an eye on what Bednar is trying to kind of install or preserve or maintain, however you want to kind of phrase it there. But, you know, you see these guys happy to be back. You know, I was kind of just listening into some of the the interviews with some of the new guys that were going on around the locker room. And I, I would say that there's a general optimism, but also confidence in this yeah. team, especially from the newcomers of, hey, I'm joining an organization that, you know, has, has been one of the premier clubs in the last four or five years in the sport. So, you know, it's all coming together slowly but surely, Mr. Dean. Yeah. Like I said yesterday when Nathan McKinnon spoke, you get nothing but pure honesty from Nathan McKinnon every single time he speaks. And he was very, very open about, I just didn't think we had the team to win last year. When you're in it, you always believe, but it just felt like we never really had it last season, all year. And, you know, they lost JT Comfort. They lost Alex Newhook, Lars Eller, Matt Nieto. They lost a lot of guys like that. But they added such big pieces. Like, we're talking about Jonathan Drouin as a guy that can bounce back and give you 40, 50, 60 points. We're talking about Ross Colton as a guy that could have a breakout year and give you 50, 60 points. We're talking about Ryan Johansson. I talked to Adam Vingen, a reporter out of Nashville, who said, pencil him in for 50, 60 points on that team. Thomas Tatar, coming off a 20-goal, 48-point season. How much is he going to do? Miles Wood, not a point producer, but he's a gritty player. Can he give you 20, 25 points? Add that all up. Get in a healthy Val Natrushkin or healthier Val Natrushkin. Get a healthier Bowen Byram. There are so many reasons, and obviously injuries can still happen. It's the part we don't want to talk about. But there are so many reasons to be optimistic about this group. And obviously, on top of all that, your core, Makar, Taves, Rantanen, Lekkinen, Nichushkin, uh, McKinnon, they've won before. This isn't their first time. They've won before. They're looking to do it again. They know they have the pieces around them again to do it. And won recently. Like, that's the thing. It, it, it's Literally not, 13, 14 months ago, whatever correct. it was. Like, it, it, it's not like, you know, you could, there, there's an endless amount of examples across sports where, you know, I, I think like, like Tom Brady, you know, that dude won three Super Bowls in his first four years and then went, what, a decade without getting back yeah. to another one? Like, I, I mean, the fact that you're not just in the window, but in the prime of it still with these players, I think, you know, you, you want to live in that moment and you want to maintain that sense of urgency of, of, hey, we need to take advantage of a Kale McCarr, a Nathan McKinnon, a Gabriel Landeskog, you know, trio or whatever it might be while they're able to do it and do it at a high level. So we'll see, man. I'm just excited for it to be back, you know, it's crazy how quickly this offseason has even blown by. Like, we were chatting with some of the media folk there today. Like, it's like, and we're back. You know, yeah. we're live. So, we're ready to go. We're right around the corner, man. This podcast, everything we're doing at MyLifeSports.com as well, you know, it's going to be your go-to source for all things Colorado Avalanche. So, I'm excited for what should be another fantastic season for this team. Yeah, and one of the things I've spoken about numerous times over the last two weeks of bringing this podcast back for the for the new season is having a lot more guests, having a lot more yep. you know appearances like yourself, appearances like Nate Lundy, who's done a podcast with me before, um, and and most importantly, bringing in guests from other markets, and that's something that we did last week with uh, or earlier this week with Adam Vingen coming out of Nashville, mm-hmm. speaking to me for 30, 40 minutes about Ryan Johansson. Um, plugging into the end of this episode, Julian McKenzie. J.K.A. McKenzie on on Twitter is an exceptional reporter. A lot, a lot of you guys might know him. He works at The Athletic. He's also the co-host of the Chris Johnson Show on the SDPN Network. Julian is a spectacular dude. And him and I talked for 30 minutes, I believe it was, about the Calgary Flames, their bounce back. It's always nice to 
kind of dig back into that Nazem Kadri well, see how he's doing. And the Calgary Flames are a team to watch. There's a reason why I had Julian on the show. It's because the Calgary Flames are a team also looking to bounce back. Also, we're just a couple games or three games away from playing the Avalanche in the Western Conference Final. They're a team to keep an eye on, and, and, and the conversation with Julian tells you everything you need to know about the Calgary Flames and kind of what they're dealing with heading into the new season. So you'll hear from Julian at the end of this episode, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy that interview as well. It'll be a good one, man. Look at you out here getting the uh, getting the lay it's, of the. It's lead. September. I, I just hope I'm gonna be able to pace myself and not pace, pace myself and not blow it all in September, and then just be exhausted by opening night. Well, you know, <laughs> thankfully, there's always things to talk about in this business. So yeah. whether it's the Avalanche, some of the other things that are going around in the league, like there's no shortage. And as you know very well, like hockey fans and hockey people. All they want to do is talk about hockey. So I don't think there'll be any shortage of talking points. Yep. This is my fifth season doing this. It's wild to think. 268, I believe, episodes of this Hockey Mountain High podcast. episodes, brother. So uh, ready to rock and roll for the new season. I'm excited for Friday. We're going to talk to Ryan Johansson. We'll get some more coverage out for you guys. Uh, But with that, any closing thoughts? I'm just excited. You know, like as I always say, whether it's the radio show or talking to you guys personally, like, it's a great time to be a Denver sports fan or a Colorado sports fan. I, I mean, Avalanche, you know, just won a cup, you know, a year or so ago. Nuggets coming off their first NBA championship in franchise history. The Broncos stink. The Rockies stink. But the Buffs <laughs> are, you know, taking over the world right now. So this is uh, about as good as it gets for a fan of a city and their team. So I'm excited for your coverage. I'm excited for the city in general. And uh, excited to watch some good hockey, man. And to see Gabriel Landeskog hopefully eventually get back out there. Yeah. Because that will be such an awesome moment. So just yeah. in general, man, two thumbs up. Optimism. Happiness. We're grooving. New season. Everybody everybody feels like they can win the cup in September, and that's the beauty of training camp. Uh, with that, here's Julian McKenzie. We'll talk to you all again on Sunday. Joining me now on the show is uh, somebody that I met last year when I went out for the second Avalanche game of the season. If you guys remember, it was a back-to-back. They started against the Blackhawks at home. They raised the cup banner and then they flew out that night to Calgary to face off against the Flames and Nazem Kadri. It was the Flames' home opener or season opener in general. And I got to know somebody that works at the Athletic named Julian McKenzie, who was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was your first game on the Flames beat. That was, um, that Colorado game was the first regular season game on the beat yeah. for me with the Flames because I had, obviously, I'd done preseason games, but it's preseason for everybody. So it really started for real that night. But uh, yeah, we did get to meet. And then uh, when I got to go to Colorado, we got to kick it again, man. Uh, yeah. Really good to be on your show and good to see you again. Yeah, thank you, man. Julian McKenzie works at The Athletic. Of course, if you guys are big hockey diehards like I am, you also know he is the co host of the Chris Johnston show for the SDPN network. Uh, does great work. Guy's on like five podcasts a week. I hear him on The Athletic Show. I hear him on SDPN. He posts like all these other ones that I I think he's a guest on, but it turns out he's also a co-host on. So the fact that he's making 15, 20 minutes of his time to join us here in Denver is awesome. But uh, let's get into it, Julian. Let's talk Calgary. Of course, man. You got to make it work. Yeah, I love it. You got to grind. And let's talk Calgary Flames because this is easily one of the more intriguing teams in the NHL and especially in the Western Conference for me. Um, I guess starting with last season, it's just a blanket question. There are some very easy answers to this, but what went wrong for the Flames? Basically everything. Uh, <laughs> this was a team that had expectations entering the season. They had made a lot of changes with the intention of remaining competitive, and it just didn't work. They had a really great start. And a lot of people are going to forget about this, but they went off to their like the best start in franchise history through the first handful of games. And then by the end of the first month, entering November, that's when the descent began, where there were games where there were too many one-goal games that they weren't able to win. Uh, we started to hear some of the antics about Daryl Sutter and and maybe rubbing some of his players the wrong way, uh, and notably with how he's treated some of the younger players on that team. Hell of a coach in terms of his accolades, but you can tell it's a, it's a bit of a hit or miss with how he relates to some of those guys. And this team also lacked game-breaking talent. We, we know it was going to be a tough sell for them without Johnny Gaudreau and without Matthew Kachuk, considering the moves that have been done. But I think a lot of people thought that Jonathan Huberto would be able to pick up that slack. It didn't necessarily happen, not at least in the, not in the system that they had in place. And ultimately, it led to them missing the playoffs by a few points. The wild thing about it is, as disappointing as last season was, they still could have fallen into a, a playoff spot. They could, have, they could have easily been like what the Florida Panthers ended up being where they were kind of moseying around 
and then they kind of caught hot, caught fire near the end, and then they end up in the playoffs and they go to the Stanley Cup final. There was still a chance entering the final two weeks of the season where the Flames could have made the playoffs. But I think for a lot of fans in this market, just seeing the mediocrity, I think a lot of them had started to tap out and they figured it was just wasn't going to happen. I wonder how much of that contributed to that energy. But ultimately, just in terms of the expectations and, and setting them and living up to them, they did not match them. And now the Flames are entering a season where no one knows what to make of the expectations. If what ex- what those expectations yeah. are to be real, like no one really knows what to set them at. Trust me, we're going to get to that because it is a very fascinating team right now. But it's it's funny you say that because if the tables were turned and you asked me what went wrong with the Avalanche last season, I would tell you all the things about the captain playing, not playing all year, all the injuries they dealt with, uh, the goaltending issues with their backup, G- Georgiev being overplayed, obviously ending with the Nichushkin situation in Seattle. And we'll talk about how it was such a poor season and it was terrible and you got to bounce back. And then you remember that this was a team that had a Hart Trophy finalist, won the Central Division and lost in Game 7 of the playoffs. So, like, it could be worse. And that's that's ultimately the thing with the Calgary Flames. If just one or two things get better from last year, it's a playoff team, ultimately, you know, depending on what happens with other teams' trajectories. It was uh, it was a fascinating start last year. I remember they you know they obviously beat the Avalanche opening night. They went down. They you know Kadri got his cup ring, and I remember I flew back to Denver, and they had that game against Edmonton a couple nights later on Hockey Night in Canada. And I remember making that like appointment viewing television. I don't watch a lot of non-Avalanche games in October. I usually give it a month or two, and then I start to see what's out there with certain teams and kind of pick on the teams that I think would be fascinating. That one was appointment viewing TV. They beat the Oilers. Then they beat, I believe, the Golden Knights. So they started the season beating the, the the defending cup champs, the future cup champs, and the Edmonton freaking Oilers, and then ended up later on in the month going on like a 10-game losing streak or something crazy like that. I just remember it being the weirdest start to any season I've seen. It was weird, man. Like like that beginning to the season, it was, what was really interesting was that the preseason for the Flames, you could tell there was a lot they still needed to figure out in terms of more or less their their strategy and, and how they want to, to deploy some of their new lines and some of those new players. And I remember even before the regular season beginning, Tyler Toffoli, when he was still a flame, uh, speaking for the media, saying, like, we're running out of time to figure out, you know, how, what exactly we're going to do with this team and, and, and in terms of the strategies and everything they wanted to get together. And I remember thinking, okay, this team is having a pretty rusty preseason. So when they had the start that they had, I think it was pretty easy for all of us to say, okay, they figured it out because they found ways to beat teams like Colorado and Vegas and Edmonton in the early parts. Yeah, they had a a setback against Buffalo early on, but a lot of people were willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they would figure it out. But I think I think that might have stopped maybe around like February or March. But for those first few months, even when that descent started for them and Jacob Markstrom was not playing at 100 percent and Jonathan Huberto, people were wondering about his place in the lineup. This is a guy who started the year alongside Elias Lindholm and they moved him off playing uh, with Nelson Kadri and then playing with Michael Backlund. They had him playing left wing, then right wing. That guy went through a roller coaster of emotions last year. Uh, but for a good throughout a good chunk of time, people thought that because they had the coaching, because they had the pieces, and at least their defensive strategy was still pretty sound, people thought this team could still make it. And people were willing to hold out as long as they could until they just couldn't anymore with this team in terms of them making the playoffs. On paper, they still have a lot of talent. It's just they just couldn't put it together last year. But people will forget the fact that that start to the year, the wins against key teams – uh, there was a game against Pittsburgh, I also remember, where they had allowed like 20 shots in the second period, and, and Daryl Sutter was saying like, hey, we have to clean that stuff up. I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but wins like that were were painting this picture that this team knew they could be better, and they were looking to go up to that point, and they just never did. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the two situations, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore Backlund for just a second, but Lindholm sure. and Hannafin, obviously, going into their final years of their contracts, there's a lot of talk about Hannafin doesn't want to play there, but maybe he will. Lindholm is willing to sign. Money's a factor. Like, it kind of it just seems to be mixed messaging. But ultimately, the question here is, do you think it's a bad idea for this team to go into the regular season without some kind of clarity on a contract or a trade, contract extension or a trade? Do you think it's going to be too big of a distraction, or is it just cut and dry, similar to what the Avs had to do with Kadri 
we want to contend. We have to have these guys, and what happens next summer is 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 another issue. Well, you you might remember when the Flames were in the situation with Johnny Gaudreau, and he ultimately left for nothing, and then Matthew Kachuk, with one year left on his deal, is like, I'm not going to resign, and they ship him out to Florida. In any other market, maybe you look at the talent and you say, you know what, we're just going to do our best to contend and see what happens after that. This is a market, Calgary, where they've been burned by this before, and Craig Conroy, the new general manager, went out of his way to say that he did not want to repeat right. this coming yeah. season. And now they found themselves in a position, mostly with Elias Lindholm, where they could do that again. Uh, Elias Lindholm spoke to us earlier this week and said, you know, he, I've, I've made it pretty clear that I want to stay here. And when we asked him if, if anything to do with front office changes or how the team looks is going to matter into that decision, he just reiterated the fact that he wanted to stay here. So it's a money thing. It, it can't be anything else. I mean, maybe they'll spit it some other way, but money has to be the biggest thing in all of this. I, I, I think he probably feels he's a $9 million plus dollar player, and I think he has every reason to feel that way. But it's a big question whether or not the Calgary Flames want to do that. And if they let that contract enter the year, I mean, there is a possibility where the Flames don't have a great year and they realize, you know what, they have to sell off some assets and they go to the deadline, they, they can try to recoup what they can get. But one thing you have to think about as well is if at the trade deadline, which they, they just announced it's going to be March 8th this year, say you're a team that needs a center, but you don't know if Elias Lindholm is going to commit, commit to you long term. How does that affect what you're willing to give up in a deal for a player of his caliber? I think that's a pretty big risk that the Calgary Flames have put themselves in. It might not necessarily work out for them. It's not impossible that it does, and that's regardless of if they sign or trade him, but they've definitely put themselves in the middle of this minefield, and there's a big potential of them stepping on one and, and, and having catastrophe happen. They've, they've definitely opened themselves up for that risk, and I know I'm, I'm focusing a lot on Lindholm here. Hannafin's a bit of a different situation. I still... This is just my hunch in all of this. I still think he ends up playing in the United States. I, I feel as if that's what he ultimately wants. And I think he's doing a good job of, you know, at least publicly making himself seem open to the idea. And, hey, maybe the Calgary Flames do find a way to change his mind. But I don't think the stakes and the potential return attached to a Noah Hannafin trade are as high compared to what Elias Lindholm ideally should be bringing back and the mean his meaning to that organization are you surprised that it's september 15 and the only trade slash contract extension from those from that group is tyler Toffoli? yes absolutely 100 i thought that the calgary flames at the very least would have made more decisions i thought at the very least with lindholm hannafin and backland i thought we would have had decisions on all three of those guys i think for all those for guys like chris tanev <laughs> or an Oliver Shillington, or Nikita Zadorov, maybe the team would think, okay, we can wait on those guys and see what we can get at the deadline, depending on how things go. Or you say, we're, we're going to keep them, and if you lose those guys for nothing, or if you sign them to other extensions, that's a whole other story. But I think for that big three of Lindholm, Backlund, and, and Hannafin, I thought the Calgary Flames should have used that offseason to figure out those situations. Not to say they didn't try, but for them to all kind of be in this state where we still don't know what's going to happen to them that i'm very surprised about and i know that people might hear that and say well maybe the the deals in the market just weren't there for them i don't know man i think with the with how the summer was going for teams and how the, some teams like colorado in particular were able to make a move for a center like a ryan johansson like i think just as teams were making those moves all those doors were starting to close up and we're starting to see the salary cap picture as it is and i get it might go up next year but not a lot of teams have space right now so if you're trying to make a move, you are in a very interesting situation, a more difficult situation than you would have been much earlier in the summer when teams were a little bit more open with their salary cap structures. The reason why I left out Backland and wanted to talk about him separately is because earlier this summer, Elliot Friedman mentioned that the Avalanche had checked in on him before they traded for who you just mentioned, Ryan Johansson. Um, what kind of player is this guy? Because this is a guy that I don't think we... Outside of Calgary, I don't think fans, listeners, media just really understand just how valuable a player he is. And and on that note, like, how much could this guy have helped the Avalanche had he been the guy they brought in as the number two seed? Oh, man, I think he would have been a great 
middle of the lineup player. I think in a, in a perfect situation, you get Gabriel Landeskog back. You have him as your third center. That is arguably the best center depth in the Western. You can make an argument for that. And I get that Edmonton has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They're clearly you have those two that could beat anybody. But Colorado could go into a Stanley Cup playoff run with those three centers and be like, oh, man, like this is a formidable center depth to deal with. Michael Backlund is the team's best penalty killer. Uh, best defensive forward. You can put him on opposing uh, opposing team's best players. Uh, I, I was amazed at the work he was able to do playing alongside Blake Coleman on his right wing, where whenever teams were trying to enter the zone, uh, this is a man who was able to fight off pucks, uh, change possessions. Both those two players in particular were able to work together in terms of cycling and playing well defensively. And even when teams were trying to leave their own defensive zones, they did such a great job of hemming those teams in and winning possessions back and turning them into scoring chances. Michael Backlund's skill set is so essential for the Calgary Flames. If they moved on from him and, and took advantage from the fact that he had his best season uh, points-wise, it still would have been a pretty big hole to fill because I don't know. I mean, Elias Lindholm is is the is a stellar defensive forward and their number one center because of the offensive ability that he's able to do as well. One of the better two-way centers you can get. But in terms of the defensive aspect, I think Michael Backlund is just a little bit better on that front. Just doesn't have that same capability on offense. And that's why he's a 3C. If Colorado would have gotten a guy like Michael Backlund, I think the a lot of fans in that market would come to appreciate the type of player that he is. He's also a really nice guy as well. means a lot to the Calgary market in terms of some of the charities and foundations that he's worked with as well. Played his 900th game with the franchise last year. He means a lot to the Calgary Flames. That would have been very much a, a it would have been, it would have been a sad thing if he, if, if they ended up moving on from him, but now they're in this weird state where they don't know if he's going to commit to them long-term and people are wondering if he could still get the C in this market, right? Because the flames do not have a captain at this moment. Rasmus Anderson, it looks like he's going to get it, but a lot of people in that flames locker room considered Michael Backlund, the de facto captain, even though they didn't have one, he carries a lot of leadership qualities on top of his defensive abilities. He means a lot to that flames organization. If the avalanche would have gotten him, I think he would have done wonders for that organization. Absolutely. It's crazy because when I think of Michael, he literally has been there forever. Because when I think of Michael Backlund, I think of like friggin' Robin Regeer, Matt Stajan, Nicholas Hagman. Like he's been there for a really long time. Think of all uh, the coaches he's had. Like when, like, yeah. I remember writing a story about uh, about Michael Backlund ahead of that 900th game. I had to talk to Bob Hartley about him. <laughs> and <laughs> Bob Hartley, Avalanche fans know Bob Hartley very yeah. well. And there was that four-year period where Bob Hartley was the Flames head coach. He's seen Bob Hartley. He's seen Daryl Sutter. He's seen Jeff Ward. He's about to get Ryan Huska. This is a guy who has seen a ton of different coaches in his time with the Calgary Flames organization. He has seen a bunch of things. Daryl Sutter twice over, I think. Was, was yeah, Sutter because, because I think Daryl might have been his GM when he drafted. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Damn, yeah. So he's been there forever. Uh, all things considered, the distractions, everything we're talking about, do you envision a bounce back this season or do you envision more of the same in terms of just storylines and media and pressure and, and, and just kind of no loose ends really tied, man. I, I just think this team is a bit too talented to have a season like they did last year. And I think the fact that they made the coaching change, they bring in Ryan Huska, Mark Savard is going to be in charge of offense of offense for this team. They can't do anything about the rink, but at least they tried to make the environment a little bit better. They're trying to make it more fun for everyone to come to the rink. Uh, they have some good players, man. Like Jacob Markstrom did not have a good year last year. It seemed as if he was not healthy entering last season. He seems like he's a lot healthier now and talking to a couple of people in the organization. Like if he is better then the team is, should get off to a good start and they should be on a better playing field than they were last year. I think that's going to make a world of difference. Jonathan Huberto, obviously there's going to be a big spotlight on him. And he he knows he can't do uh, the 55-point season that he had last year. I'm still curious about where they put him in that lineup. It seemed like him and Elias Lindholm together wasn't the most perfect match. Do you somehow put him back with Michael Backlund if it gets to that point? I don't know. But I, I they have to figure out a way to get that to work. Uh, they have pieces uh, to at least you know be a competitive team. I still worry about the fact that they don't have a star quality player or a game breaker that will ultimately put them over the top. But I see them as a team that could 
I guess once again fight for a playoff spot, just the energy should be a little bit different. Instead of it just kind of them looking at their expectations and realize they can't match them, I think some people are kind of underrating them this year, and maybe they look at that as an opportunity for them to surprise a couple people. So maybe the same ultimately, but maybe a better result at the end. It's just the energy is going to be a little going to be a little different around this organization. Last summer, Nazem Kadri decided to wait out the market for the the UFA market. I think it was July 13 was the first day, and he didn't sign until August 18. And there were kind of murmurs in between when it was clear he wasn't going to get the eight million or whatever he was looking for at first. It was kind of clear that he was, you know, there there were some murmurs that he might come back to the Avalanche. We know the Avalanche weren't offering not as much term or dollars per season AAV as the Calgary Flames. And I often wonder, had the Kachuk and Goudreau situations not gone the way they did, if Kadri would have ended up re-signing with the Avalanche because his only other option at that point might have been the Islanders, and it sounded like he didn't want to go there. So all of this is to say, to close out the show, I'm sure the fans and the listeners would love this. How is Avalanche legend Nazem Kadri doing? I think uh, I think Naz, uh, the phone, and I heard that Nazem Kadri was joining the Calgary Flames. I think at that point, uh, I might have already said that I was going to move, so I was pretty excited to, to get the opportunity yeah. to cover a player of his caliber. Uh, it just seems like this really cool dude, just like this dude who's played in Toronto, he's played in Colorado, he's got his rig, he, he kind of carries this swag about him. Uh, and and I think that uh, in terms of how he's embedded himself in that locker room, uh, I want to say that he's kind of, He's, he's definitely a presence in there. I think there are times when I kind of see how he is compared to some of the other guys. I sometimes feel that he might be a bit of like a lone wolf, but maybe that's because of where he's at in terms of maturity, in terms of his family stuff. Or I, I don't know. Sometimes I look I look at how he is with those guys, and I'm wondering, like, okay, like how does he really fit? But he he was in their fantasy football league last year, and he won. So I, I have to imagine that he's, <laughs> that, he's that'll doing make him like well him. With him. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think he does. I'm sure he does get along. Maybe just we just don't see some of that. But there are some times where you're just looking around. You're like, OK, well, some guys are in these clusters, but just Nazem just kind of on his own. Uh, but that's just me seeing it. I'm obviously not in the locker room. Yeah, I can't that's really tell. interesting, honestly. That's, it's it's very fascinating to see how Nazem gets down. But in terms of the player, that first half of the year, I thought he played solid. And maybe he was still going off whatever high he had from winning that cup. But I think going through all of that hockey over the last last few years, the thumb still not being right, that came to slow him down in the second half of the year. He only had five goals in the last 32 games of the year. And I, th- I think some fans were starting to turn on him a little bit because of the fact that the production wasn't there. There was a game near the end of the year against Chicago. Chicago, the worst teams in the league, but they were giving Calgary the business all year. And Kadri had two brutal giveaways in the first period of that game. And I think that's his worst game as a Calgary Flame. And it just, it did not look good for him then. And I think he had a second half of the year he would very much like to forget. But I'm on the, I'm on his side when he says that a long offseason is a blessing in disguise. I think the fact that he gets a full summer off to heal from whatever injuries have been nagging him over the last little while. And then he gets to uh, be inserted into a lineup fully healthy. I think he can get back to being the type of player he was in that first half of the year and, and seeing him maybe play with Andrew Mangiapane. If they put him on a line with him and do Dylan Dubé again, when that season, when last season started, that was like the best line they were able to put out because of the way that they worked hard in the offensive zone and the goals that they were able to get. Uh, maybe you put Matthew Coronado on the right alongside him and alongside him and uh, Andrew Mangiapane as well. That's an option. Uh, I just think with with Kadri as your second center, with him being healthy, I think he's I think he's going to surprise some people. I think some people kind of have the bad Kadri in the in the back of their minds after how the second half of the year went. I don't know if we're going to see that Kadri to start off the year. I think they're going to get a rejuvenated player. Not a lot of people are talking about him this off season. I think he's going to surprise some people. I say this and I'm totally going to ignore that the Tampa Bay Lightning are machines doing what they did, but I don't think we 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 talk enough about what a long playoff run and, and a shortened offseason does to a team because, you know, when the Avalanche won the Cup in Tampa Bay, I was there and I, and I got to record those final moments, that final shift where on the ice for the Avalanche, I'm going to ignore the two defensemen, on the ice for the Avalanche was a left winger and Gabriel Landeskog who since then has not played a game. 
because of his knee issues and hadn't played the final two months of the regular season and then appeared in the playoffs, played every single game and missed every single morning skate in practice and played through the pain and is arguably one of the reasons why he's in the situation he's in right now. At center was Nazem Kadri, who had this customized glove covering his broken thumb that he somehow used to score the game four overtime winner against Vasilevsky. And at the other wing was Val Nichushkin, who played on a broken foot. I don't know if you saw the video I recorded after they left the the, the dressing room and celebrated. Um, after having one too many drinks, Val Nichushkin was dragged on a cart to the bus because of how broken his foot was. Oh Last year it was wrapped every single game. It was wrapped every single game in the locker room. He missed a ton of regular season time in the playoffs. It kind of all blew up on him and against Seattle. And we all saw what happened there. And in goal was a goalie that was legally blind in one eye after taking yes. a stick to the eye in Darcy yes. Kemper. So when you look at the seasons that those guys had, Gabe Landeskog hasn't played since. Kadri had a strong start, slow, slow ending. Darcy Kemper wasn't the same Darcy Kemper we saw in Arizona and we saw in Colorado. Val Nichushkin obviously was in and out of the lineup. I have all the damn respect in the world that Kadri got 82 games in. And, and you, you're mentioning guys who won. About it. Yeah, yeah. And these are the guys who won. Guys who won. I like to think of the guys who go through that exact same journey, mm -hmm. go through some of the exact same injuries, and play through some of that exact same pain and lose. So you go through all of that, and then you have to enter next season and be like, man, we have to do this again? Like, if we want to get to that point, well, no wonder it's so hard for teams to get back to the Stanley Cup final or even the playoffs. Like, I think of the Montreal Canadiens and the year they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, the last cup that the Tampa Bay Lightning won in that whole sequence of, of, of years for mm -hmm. them. Shea Weber has not played since. Carey Price Shea Weber Price. has not played since. Carey Price has not been himself since. He's he's He told the media this week that, like, his knee is not going to get any better. Yeah. And, like... Carey Price, the, the goalie that we have seen for the better part of over a decade, that's done. Like, there are guys on – and then that roster bottomed out, and now they're in the midst of a rebuild. Like, we cannot ever discount the toll on a body, on a person that it takes when you go through a Stanley Cup final run. And for a player like Nazem Kadri, the fact that he was able to start the year the way that he did with the Calgary Flames with – Little to no time off. Remember, he, not just the fact that he was battling through those injuries. First Muslim player to win the Stanley Cup. You, Everyone wants a piece of you when you are bringing that cup to the mosque. He had himself a ball last Wonderful summer time. and a time. great time. So the fact that he was able to have a good start to the year, and, and you could debate whether or not he should have been an all-star, but he was an all-star with the Calgary Flames last year. That's amazing to me. And I'm not surprised that he ended up kind of falling off in that second half. He was tired. He was injured. I still think he ends up having a better season this year, though. Yeah, and I'll, I'll close off with this. Uh, it's so damn easy to talk to you, so it's hard to close the show, man. You are the oh, greatest. Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are the greatest. I love it because I'm the same way. But I spoke to Colby Guy. He covers the Florida Panthers for Florida Hockey Now, who, yeah, yeah. you know, based off what you're saying, reminded me that Brandon Montour and Aaron Eckblad are going to miss at least the first two months of the season. Went through the Didn't entire Matthew grind. Matthew Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk yeah, Ma Matthew Kachuk busted up his sternum. So I, I didn't even ask about what his situation is. But no Montour, no Ekblad, the top two defensemen for a team that grinded all the way to the finals. And like you said, didn't even win. They didn't Man. even get to win. So it is truly – it's it's such a grind. And I think that that's something to really take into account with guys like Kadri, Kemper, Burakovsky, who after the All-Star game played one shift, I think it was. And it wasn't seen after that, you know, Seattle would have been a better team with him in the lineup. And that's a team that made it to game seven against Dallas in the second round after yep. defeating the Stanley Cup champs. So lot to lot, lot to look forward to there. Same thing for the Avalanche. They have a lot of guys coming off of that cup run. A lot of new players, too. I just want I want the shortest of answers here. And I don't say this because I'm running short on time. I say this because I don't want to take more of your time. Well, I appreciate but, that. You're not taking up my time, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try to I'll, I'll acquiesce. What is your thoughts of this Avalanche team after all the moves they've made? I, an outside I, opinion and outside view. I am very intrigued about the first thing that comes. Just gonna say the first thing that comes to mind. I love the fact that Nathan McKinnon got his buddy Jonathan Drouin on that team. It's so great, dude. I think I my bold my one bold prediction I could think of Jonathan Jonathan Drouin's gonna have a twenty goal season. He is going to come back and show people why he was a top three pick in that draft class. I think him in a market 
where no one's going to look at him and apply that same pressure like it was in Montreal, and he gets to ride with this boy that he won a Memorial Mm -hmm. Cup with, I think that's going to do wonders for him in Colorado. And as far as I'm concerned, even with the injuries, even with Gabriel Landeskog not being able to play, having a top two player in the world in Nathan McKinnon, uh, having a top five player in the world in Kale McCarr, having your 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 goaltending as it is, I still think the Colorado Avalanche are a team to beat in the Western Conference. You look at them in Vegas, we'll see how that goes. But I I I don't disrespect the Colorado Avalanche. I don't I, I see them as a playoff team, and if you end up against them in the playoffs, they're a tough out. I think they're still a a formidable opponent in the Western Conference easily. Every single captain skate that's happened so far over the last two or three weeks, including yesterday, all the veterans will be gone, and Nathan McKinnon is working with Jonathan Drouin one-on-one. Their locker stalls are right next to each other in the practice facility. I envision yep. it's going to be similar in the in the main rink as well. I am really excited to see what Jonathan Drouin can do playing with McKinnon again. It's it's probably the most intriguing. That plus the Ryan Johansson experiment. Those are the two most interesting uh, storylines to me for the Avalanche this season. But with that... He is Julian McKenzie, covers the Calgary Flames for The Athletic, also is one half of the Chris Johnson Show on the SDPN Network. He's on Twitter slash X at JKA McKenzie. Thanks a lot for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. You're going to be hopefully in town with the Calgary Flames. It's the weekend after American Thanksgiving, that Saturday in November. I hope you're here because I'd love to see I, you. Man. I would love that. I, I wish travel budgets would allow me to do that, but yeah. we're definitely going to see each other at some point this year. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot for joining the show. and. That's it from us.